0: Now, how many of you love a good story, right? We love stories, don't we? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if, like my wife's had a, a tough day or whatever, and she'll tell me, you know, I am just ready to like get in my comfy clothes and like turn on a good movie. Anybody relate to that? You know, and, and then some, some of them are sort of predictable. You know, some of the ones she picks, you know, but I, I got to tell you, I get sucked into it, you know, because there's something about a story, you know, we watch a story and, and it engages us. And, uh, and so Jesus knew that. And, uh, you know, as preachers, we, we learn that pretty quickly. If you've ever done any sort of public speaking, when you begin to see the whites of their eyes, when heads start falling on the gym floor in comatose state, you know that you can usually grab their attention by a few sh- simple words. Let me tell you a story. Boom, you know, suddenly the, the dead rise and they wake up. Um, and so Jesus knew this, right? And so he told a lot of stories in a time when, you know, the only way to really relate to stories, they didn't have DVDs, obviously, back then. They didn't have Netflix or any of that stuff. You know, it was to tell the story. And so as he talked to the crowds, you know, he told stories and these we call, you know, they're known as Parables. Meaning that he set alongside of a, of a story about earthly things, heavenly principles. And that's what the parables are like. And it says that wherever he taught the, the multitudes, he would not teach them anything without teaching parables. Parables. And so, in a way, they would go away and they would think, oh, that's a cool story. But then there would be a spiritual golden nugget of truth that would lodge in their hearts, you see. And they'd go out and they'd go back into the field or wherever they were working and they would remember, wow, that was a really cool story what he said. I wonder what it meant, you know. And they begin to ponder that. And so, we're going to continue as Jesus is giving these parables and and as it's, <laughs> it's, a lot of times it's easy to misinterpret the parable. So we're going to kind of go through this together and my goal here is just to s- sort of help you unravel it, to help you understand and interpret the word yourself because that's really where it begins to have meaning for us on a personal level. So verse, chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now here's this guy okay and he's in the field. Now I don't know how he got there. I don't know what he was doing. I I don't think he was trespassing. Maybe he was a sharecropper or something you know. And so he's working in the field and you know he sticks his shovel in there and clink you know what's that you know and it, it turns out to be somebody buried their treasure well you know that actually happened in those days because you didn't have banks and so forth to put stuff and so probably somebody buried it forgot about it maybe they died whatever anyway he finds it and it's like whoa this is awesome you know I'm gonna like buy this field but I'm not gonna tell anybody about this treasure you know And so, he buries the thing, you know, and and then he goes out and he says, well, how much is the field? And so, he's got to go out and sell everything he has to get enough money to buy the field. Why? Because he wants the treasure in the field, okay? It makes sense. And so, what does it mean, (laughs) okay? So, there's been a lot of people that say, well, okay, so... You know, the the treasure is like the kingdom of heaven, you know, and and then, you know, it's so good that when you find it, you want to just sell everything you have, give up everything and go, you know, get that treasure, the kingdom of God, and and it's going to be just a great treasure for you. Well, that's, there's some truth to that. I mean, it is, it's a good thing to obtain, but the problem is couples couple problems first we know that in the parable of the weed and the tares uh, Jesus said that the field is the world okay he told us that and these parables have consistent symbols so the field is the world so we might question and say well what is the kingdom of heaven doing buried in the world something's wrong with that picture and the second thing is, is that, is that if in fact we are the man in this story, you know, what did we sell to buy the gospel? Huh? What did you ever sell to get Jesus? It doesn't work that way. Let me tell you, you know, I, I, I didn't sell anything to get Jesus because Jesus found me. Amen. All I had to do is say, yes, the gospel is free. Amen? You don't sell anything to go get the gospel. and somebody tells you you've got to purchase the gospel, they're not giving you the gospel because Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. So that's the problem. Well, then if that's not the interpretation, then what is the interpretation of this parable? Well, the man who finds the treasure, well, first off, the field is the world, as Jesus said. And who is the one that is finding a treasure in the world? Well, it's Jesus Christ. You see, the whole thing is, is that, you know, he was in heaven. Everything was cool. <laughs> he, was, he was with the Father from the beginning. You know, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And yet, as he looked at man in the field of this world, he said, there's a treasure there. There's a treasure there that I want. And the Bible says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross though he despised it shame and he came for the treasure in the world and he sold everything that he had he the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself of his You know, he didn't seek to to cling on to his deity as Christ, but he emptied himself and became a man and became a servant and became obedient to death on a cross. That's what he gave up. Why? To get the treasure. Who's the treasure? You. You're the treasure. You are the joy that was set before him. You are his bride. And he sold everything to get you, you see. And that's the meaning of the parable. And then he gives another one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Who, when he had found the pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, so here now is, it's a little bit different, but it's similar to the previous parable. It's similar in that we see somebody that finds something and goes and sells everything they have to get it, okay? But it's a little bit different because here, the merchant is in search of the pearl, the most beautiful pearl he can find, okay? He's a merchant of pearls, and he wants to get the best one he can get. So it's a little bit different. Where the other guy just sort of stumbled on the treasure, this guy's actively pursuing the best pearl he can find, you see. And so, so he finds it, and it's, but it's the same thing. When he gets it, he sees, oh man, i got to have that pearl. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I'm going to sell everything I have to go buy that pearl. Again, there's, this has often been misinterpreted. You know, we people, people will say, well, you need to get the pearl of greatest price. Well, what is that? Well, it's the kingdom of God. Or maybe it's salvation or Christ or something. But <clears throat> you need to get that pearl of greatest price. And whatever you have to give up to get it, it's worth it, you see. Well, again, it's a nice idea. But is that what the parable really means? And again, same problem. We didn't sell anything to get Jesus. In fact, we weren't even looking for Jesus. That's the bottom line. It's not like any of us were looking for Christ. We weren't really looking for salvation. Most of us were pretty happy just to sin. Amen? That's the BC days, okay? I wasn't looking for Jesus. In fact, Paul said in Romans 3.11, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. No, not one, the Bible says. We weren't seeking after God. But Jesus was seeking after us, wasn't he? You know, in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives three parables. There's a parable of a man who lost his sheep and he leaves the 99 to go find it. There's a a parable of a woman who lost a coin and she searches her house until she finds it. And then there's the parable of a man who has two sons. And one of them goes and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And he goes out and he squanders it on wild living, you know. And uh, and But the father is looking for his son to come home. And when he comes home, he runs after him, you see. In all three of those parables, who's doing the seeking? It's the Lord. It's the Lord who's seeking. In fact, he said that I came to seek and to save what is lost. That's why Jesus came. So once again, he's like the merchant in search of the greatest pearl, the pearl of great price, and he finds this beautiful pearl. And who's the pearl? (laughs) You. You're the pearl of greatest price. Worth Jesus selling everything to obtain greater love has no one than this that he would lay down his life for his friends you're the pearl of greatest price now think about how the pearl is formed it's sort of an interesting thing it's not like precious stones diamonds or rubies or anything like that in that it's it's only formed within an organism okay it's quite unique in that way and what is it It's a little piece of dirt. A grain of sand. That gets into the oyster. And it, you know, it probably, the oyster doesn't really like it. Have you ever get a piece of sand in your eye? You know? And it's an irritant. It's this little piece of sand that's irritating the oyster. And in some ways, it's injuring the oyster. So what does the oyster do? Well, it starts secreting this mother-of-pearl stuff, and it layer after layer after layer after layer after layer. And it builds this beautiful pearl that started out as a piece of dirt that was an irritant. Folks, I, I think that one through. <laughs> what are we made out of? Dirt. <laughs> How many of us have injured the Lord? Offended him by our sins? Breaking his commandments? Every one of us. We've eternally offended a holy God. We've injured. We've irritated him. And yet, what does he do? He covers us over. He loves on us. He changes us. He takes us from being a little grain of dirt to making us a beautiful pearl. And how does he do that? He does it by working in our lives, through his word, by his spirit, over time. You know, he he makes us beautiful. And the Bible says that Jesus will present us to him on that day as a bride without spot, without wrinkle. We will be blameless. He'll present us blameless before the angels in heaven. Why? Because he loves you. Because he was searching for you. When you were lost and you didn't deserve him, he went after you. You see, that's the message of the parable. Now, let me just say that how many of you know that if Jesus gave everything, okay? We're in a situation right now, after 19 years, in the same house, we've just sold our house, because there's a house that Cindy really, and I too, I mean, she's sort of, she saw it first, and, and I love her, so I love the house, you see. <laughs> Sometimes you don't need to know why they need to get it. you just need to get it. Amen. <laughs> um, but no, now I'm getting excited too. And the thing is is that so it's going to cost us basically everything we made on this previous house, and, and then some. Um, but we're looking forward to the, the place it will be for our family, for our church family, you know, holidays, Just thinking all of that, of, of, of what we want to see this what we want to do there. You see, so how many of you know that when you spend everything you need, you know, you gather to spend on something, that you're going to take care of that thing? Amen? You're going to take care of it. Why? Because it's an investment to you. It costs you something. And how many of you know that if if you cost Jesus His blood, His very life, that He is bound and determined to hold on to you? Amen? Amen? You see, we're not holding on to Jesus. The Bible says no one can snatch you out of my hand. (laughs) He's holding on to you. Why? Because you're his possession. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You belong to Jesus. And he's bound to determine to hold fast to you no matter what. No matter what this world throws at you. No matter what the devil throws at you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? Amen? That's what the Bible says. And why? Because he gave everything to get you. So, well, next parable. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of Heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which was when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down, they gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Okay, now. This is very similar to the parable of the wheat and the tares. In that what you have here is you have a a gathering of good and evil coming together, growing together, being together, and then at the end, there's the separation. There's the judgment. The good from the bad. But what does this all mean? Okay, so first off, let's take a look at this. Jesus, of course, was... His headquarters was in Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. He had four out of his 12 apostles that were fishermen. At least, maybe more. Uh, But at least four of them were fishermen. Uh, Everybody knew about fishing in that community. It was a fishing community. And so they understood this parable about a dragnet. Now a dragnet, I had to look it up because I don't really know what that is, right? So, So a dragnet is something that, it's a very large net. It's weighted on the bottom, so it literally drags across the bottom of the Sea of Galilee in this case. It's got floats on the top. And then what would happen is, they, they would usually plant it out in the sea by boat, and then they would take the ends and people on the shore would just pull that whole huge net in and guess what you catch everything that's in the water between the sh- the net and the shore it just gathers it all up and say so good bad whatever good bad ugly you got it it's all in there the seaweed the you know the the fish whatever it's all there so so that's the parable and Jesus says okay so the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's, it's like this dragon. It's gathering both good and bad fish. And then at the end, those fish are going to be sorted out. The angels are going to do that. They're going to separate the wicked from the just. But in the meantime, it says that uh, they uh, are all together. But at the end of the age, they will be separated and cast And the wicked will be cast into the furnace of fire. Gehenna, the lake of fire, the place prepared for the devil and his angels. And Jesus said there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, let's just say it's, like I said, it's very similar to the wheat and the tares in that there are going to be good people and evil people together in the world. And in this case, the dragnet is like the gospel itself. It's the gospel goes forth. People respond to the gospel. People, you, maybe you, you as, as uh, disciples of Christ, you invite people, say, to church. They hear the gospel. They come. But just because you're in church does not mean you're a good fish. Amen? Okay? That's the lesson to learn here. We could all be here. We could be watching online, whatever. You may be a good fish. You may be a bad fish. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing, doesn't it? Good fish, bad fish, red fish, blue fish, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but, but the reality of it is, is that God doesn't do the separation right now. What he's doing is he's calling People to repentance. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the people that repent, that are, they repent of their sins, they are converted, they are born again, they turn from being a bad fish to being a good fish. But just because you're in the church, just because you're in the net of the church or on the internet, (laughs) just made that one up. I thought that was cute. Anyway, it doesn't mean that you're a good fish. Okay, you got it? What does it take to be a good fish? You got to repent. It means to turn around, change, change your thinking. You know, I repented this morning. I was coming here and I was just having some great fellowship with the Lord just worshiping him thankful to be able to come together with all of you and I missed my turnoff. I went a half mile before I realized that I missed my turnoff. do you know what I had to do? I had to repent <laughs> I had to turn around 180 degrees and go back the way I came and, I, and as I'm doing this I'm thinking this is a great illustration Lord thank you I'm going to use this one today That's what it means to repent. You're going one direction. You realize, ah, this isn't the right way. Better turn around. And you go the opposite direction. That's conversion. You've converted from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. Amen? you converted from doing your own way and giving not a hoot or holler to what God wants you to do and realizing, you know what? God's way is the best way. I want to follow Him. And uh, and so that's what it means. As it says in Acts 20, 21, they preached repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So I tell you this because I don't want any fish thinking that because they're in church or because you know, they give in the offering or they do some good deeds or because they even read their Bible and they pray that they're going to heaven. But if they've not repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, church membership will not save you. Good works will not save you. Only that change of heart, repentance toward God, faith in Jesus Christ will convert and save you. And that's why it's essential that we know that we have done that. Amen? Because we don't want any rude awakenings. We don't want to be like where Jesus said, many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And that's what will happen when the angels separate the good fish from the bad on the day of judgment. At the, when, Jesus, really, when Jesus returns, that's when this is going to happen. If you're still alive, if you're dead, there will be a resurrection after all of that. And that's when it'll all be sorted out. So, okay, verse 51. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, okay, now I got to just take issue with this, okay? Now, I mean, I've been like a pastor now for like 40 years. And I'm still not sure I understand all these parables, okay? I'm still scratching my head on a bunch of them. And, and yet, you know, Jesus says, well, have you understood all this? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got it. Yeah, I got it. No problem. We're good, you know? Was it just that they were afraid to admit, you know, I, you know, this is what I loved about Thomas. We talk, talk about doubting Thomas, but at least Thomas said, look, I don't have a clue. You know, Jesus said, you know, he said, you know, you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. We haven't got a clue. You know, what are you talking about? You know, and because Thomas said that, Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you know? No one comes to the Father except through me. At least Thomas admitted when he didn't get it, okay? I love that about him. But anyway, so they said, yeah, we got it. Well, okay, so then he doesn't question that. He just says, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So, here's the fourth parable here. The parable of a scribe. Okay, now the scribe, they they spent their time copying the Scriptures. You know, they were very well versed in the law of God. They got all of the laws... But they didn't necessarily invest in loving people. They didn't really invest in people. They had all of the letters down, but not the heart behind it, you see. And so that was kind of the problem with scribes. And Jesus would deal with the Pharisees and the scribes a little bit later. But he said, but but he points out something good here. He said the thing about the scribes is that they know the Old Testament. They know the... The old truths of God revealed in the the old covenant. And if that scribe is taught about the kingdom of heaven, about the new covenant in Christ, you see, then they're like a householder. What's a householder? Just a homeowner. Maybe, Maybe a wealthy guy that, you know, he was on Lifestyles and the Rich and Famous or something, you know. And he's got all of these ancient treasures from Egypt or something, you know. But then he's also got the latest gadget, you know. And so somebody comes over and he says, hey, let me show you what I got. You know, and he pulls out the old ancient conversation pieces. But he also points out the, you know, the latest gadget. And, he, and he's just like, see? And, and, and Jesus is saying, that's what it's like, see? It's like a scribe that can bring out out of his treasury... These things of of old and new. Things of new and old. Um how many of you remember show and tell? Okay? This is what I loved about kindergarten. The best part about kindergarten was show and tell. Okay? Because you get to go home and you get to rifle through all your favorite stuff. And then you get to bring something to school. You know, normally, don't bring that to school, you know, but show and tell, you get to bring it to school, right? So you bring it to school, and you can't wait to just say, "Well, let me tell you about this. This is what this is, you know. And I got this when we went on our, our vacation. We went camping. And I found this, and it's it's a squirrel dropping. Uh, it's really cool, you know. Whatever. Okay. Got. I was a little boy. Okay, you got to understand that. Um. So, so. Uh, <laughs> But the thing is, is that you're, you're, not only do you have this stuff, not only are you showing it, but you're telling about it, you see. And that's, that's what this is like. It's like when you know the old truths of God and you know the new applications of those old truths. And you can say, look, this is what God just did. Like Justin was sharing about that night of united worship. You know, that's an, that's, that's an old concept. Getting people together to worship God. That's been going along a long time. It's been going, but but it hasn't been going on like this because of what's happened over the last six months in our nation. And so we thought, and the Lord really revealed it to us. Just bring my people together to worship me. The church united and the Lord blessed. And so it's exciting to be able to, to share the old truths of God, but also the new applications of how God is bringing to life those old truths in our lives. And we ought to be able to do both. We've got to be able to do show and tell, right? And that's the exciting part about knowing the old truths and having the new applications. So, verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables... That he departed from there, and when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary, and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, You get more details if you look at Luke 4, 16 through 30, which tells us what Jesus said. You know, how we open the scriptures to Isaiah in the synagogue. And he said, you know, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And and it says that the people were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They were just like, who is this guy? Wait, Wait a minute, we know this guy. Yeah, I remember, you know, it's like people. Some of you that have been here long enough, a long time. I remember, like, you know, like somebody like Bill or Gene. You know, they've been here since the furniture started. Okay. Sorry, guys. But you know, you remember when you first came, what Justin was like. Okay, the PK, the Preacher's Kid. Okay. And some, and I, and John Ringling talks about this sometimes too. You know, oh yeah, I remember that kid. He was all over the place, man, just crazy. Uh, and that's the problem. Is that? Is that? I mean, you know, it's not a problem really. But, but, but the issue is, is that when you know some, yeah, yeah, I knew you. I knew you when you were just like this little crazy kid. And sometimes it's hard. To, now these guys don't do that. But some, I'm trying to cover all my bases here. Yeah, I hope you get that. But, but. <laughs> But sometimes it's hard to receive because you say, yeah, I knew you. Who do you think you are? I knew you when you were just yay high. And, and I know your family. I know your mom and your brothers and your sisters. And, and, you know, and what's all this that we hear about you? You go to Capernaum and you're doing all these miracles. And, and what, you know, who do you think you are anyway? You know, who do you think... Sort of local boy makes good kind of thing, but they're offended by him. And so Jesus says, Look, here's the deal. I'm not being honored here. I'm not being respected here because you know me. I will be respected everywhere else, but a prophet is without honor among his own people. And so it says that he could not do many miracles among them. Why? Because of their unbelief. You see, there is this kind of familiarity that breeds disrespect. We say familiarity breeds contempt. That's true. But here, really disrespect. He didn't respect the fact that, you know, I mean, they should have put two and two together. They should have realized that, wait a minute, I mean, we've never heard anybody speak like this guy before. We've never heard anybody doing the kinds of miracles that he's been doing. And, and all of that's been getting back to us here in Nazareth. You know, wow, obviously God is with him. Even Nicodemus the Pharisee could put that together. You know, 1 plus 1 equals 2. Okay, obviously we know that God is with you because of these incredible, miraculous things you do. But they couldn't even give him that. They just disrespected Him. Why? Because of familiarity. And we need to be careful that we not become so familiar with, you know, oh, the great, you know, the big guy in the sky. Wait a minute. No, He is the awesome, fearful, worthy to be reverenced, worthy to be honored, worthy to be worshipped, God Almighty, omnipotent. Amen? Amen? Yes, we've been brought near through the blood of Christ and we are His children. Praise God. Adopted into the family. But let us never ever forget who we're dealing with. There's a familiarity that can breed contempt. It happens in families. You know, it's tragic that sometimes we are kinder to perfect strangers. We give perfect strangers... More respect than people in our own household sometimes. That's sad. You know, we in March, just as COVID was all starting to come out of the woodwork, okay, we had planned a trip to Maui. We planned this with our family for a year. We'd been saving up for it. And suddenly all this stuff starts coming down, and people say, Are you going to get on the plane? It's just like, it, unless God slams the door shut on me, we're going on that plane, you know? <laughs> and, and so, and we win. We had a wonderful time. I mean, it was really weird. We go, we had a restaurant one day, and then they shut that down, you know, and all this stuff happens. And by the time we got, I mean, we had a great time. We had a house, so we just cooked. It was funny. When we got back, you know, Everybody was on lockdown, okay? So it was fine. We were were quarantined for two weeks along with everybody else in in Idaho, you know. Uh, But the point of all of that is that while we were there, Cindy and I renewed our vows. We never renewed our vows. You know, we've been married 36 years. We never renewed our vows. And there we had our family on the beach, you know, our grandkids, our kids, our in-laws, you know, it was great. And, uh, But this, let me tell you, one little secret, which I can say after being happily married 36 years, we do not take each other for granted. We thank each other. We seek to be kind to each other. Are we 100% perfect in that? No, I'm probably more at fault than she is, frankly. (laughs) But, But we work at it. We have bound and determined that we are not going to let familiarity breed contempt or cause us to disrespect one another or stop just being kind to each other. And that's what happened here. And it can happen in the church too. We can stop respecting one another because we get hung up in our little attitudes or opinions. And we let that violate the law of love which tells us to love one another. Love covers over a multitude of sins and differences and opinions and blah, blah, blah. Don't take each other for granted. Why? Because that person in the body of Christ that you may have a tizzy with is a pearl in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so are you. That person is a treasure in the eyes of Jesus Christ. And so are you. And that's why we need to love one another. Treat each other like pearls and treasures and precious stones and gems that we are in the eyes of Christ. Yeah, we're still under construction. At at the core, we're still a little bit of irritating sand. (laughs) But the Lord is making something beautiful out of each of us. And it was sad because they didn't see that. Because they didn't see that, they disrespected him. They didn't believe in him. And you know what? Luke tells us that they took him to the brow of the hill. Now we're going to go to Israel. I'm not quite sure when that's going to happen yet. Is it going to be this February or maybe not till later? I don't know yet. Right now it's closed down. But we're going to go to Nazareth. And there's a brow of that hill and you can see the cliff right where they are going to push Jesus off. Why? Because they just thought he was too big for his britches. So we're just going to end your life, dude. Throw you off the hill. See, that's what can happen. And it's sad because he could have done many miracles in Nazareth like he did in other places but they missed out on that. Why? Because they didn't believe in him. They took him for granted. They disrespected him. So, where are you at today? How do you feel God is looking at you? I think sometimes we, after we've even received Christ, we've given him our our heart, we've given him our life, but we wonder, you know, I don't really feel like I measure up. How much is good enough, by the way? Well, let me tell you, with the moment that you believed in Jesus Christ, the moment that you turned from your sins and trusted in Him, God gave to you the righteousness of Christ in full, in totality. You cannot improve upon that righteousness that He gave you as a gift, that He credited to your account. Now, the rest of our life is spent, you know, trying to be like that. trying to be what God says that we really are in Christ. And we become more like Christ over time. But the Bible says that we are accepted in the beloved Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the way the Lord looks at you. As His treasure and as His pearl. And that's if you know it. If you're here today and you've, never receive Christ if you've never asked Him in your life if you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sins and come and be your Lord and come be your Savior or if you're online and you've never done that then my word to you is make sure you're a good fish okay <laughs> make sure that you make your calling and election sure make sure that today I'm going to give you op- opportunity today to get that straight Don't just watch, don't just come to church, but make sure that you've been truly converted and that you know that the Lord is in you and he's changing you from the inside out. Why? Because you simply have accepted what he did for you on the cross when he purchased you with his blood. We're going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. I'm going to ask those of us who have received him, who know him, just to join with me in this prayer also. Let this be sort of like my renewal of vows to my wife, you see. Her renewal of vows to me. Let that be that renewal of your commitment, of your dedication, of your love for the one who gave everything to gain you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence. We do thank you for this place that we could meet in, God. We thank you for your tremendous love for us, God. The Scripture says that you love us even as you love your own Son. It's amazing, Lord, why you would love us that much. We wouldn't believe it if you hadn't said it. But you did say it. And Lord, I would just pray if there's any here today in this gym or, or watching from home that has not yet received you as Savior and as Lord, and they don't know where they would go. They don't know on that day of judgment where they will stand. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would repent toward God and have faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'm just going to say this prayer, and I'd like you to repeat this prayer after me. If you'd like to receive the Lord as Your Savior, as your Lord. If you'd like to make that commitment of your life to Him, just repeat this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for sending your Son Jesus to die for me. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have fallen short of your commandments. I ask You to forgive me of my sins. I ask You to fill me with Your love. I believe that You paid the price for my sins in full. And I believe that God raised You from the dead. Come into my heart and help me live for You. In Jesus' name, amen. Now if you've prayed that prayer and and you've meant it before the Lord, meant it from your heart, then I can just say that your name is written in heaven. God has forgiven you of your sins. He's washed them away with the blood of Jesus. That includes not only washing away your sins, but also your guilt. And giving you a cleansed conscience. You say, that's amazing. It is amazing. That's the amazing, miraculous gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. So... That's important because we're going to celebrate communion here together and uh, wanted to give you the opportunity to get your life right with Jesus so that you can partake of communion with us. So let's just stand together and let's sing.
1: Of the world. You step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. you oh, to I this heart adore you. Hope of a life, stand with you. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to see that you're my God. You are together worthy, all together worthy, all together wonder for to me. King of our days we shall so highly exalted Glorious in heaven and God And humbly we came To the earth you came and loved After the sun we can home I am to worship, Here I am to bow down, Here I am to see that you're my God. You are together loving, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. How to see my sin upon that cross, I'll to see my sin upon that cross, I'll know. All together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me.
0: You know, it's an amazing thing that Jesus, when he knew that he was going to be betrayed, he knew he was going to be crucified the next day. And yet he could say to his disciples, I'm eag- I've eagerly waited to have this meal with you. That's the value that he places on communion, on fellowship. And then he, he took bread after the meal, the Passover meal, and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, okay, this bread, you know, it has a new meaning now. It's representing my body that has been prepared and given to you so that you could be saved. It was broken. It's going to be broken for you, you see, so that you can be saved.